without resource reallocation, all you have is a really good strategy paper. And you might have a really good strategy paper that everybody loves, that you know, that analyzes the market beautifully, that has a really good plan for how you know you're going to create lots of value, whether that's social value, economic value. But you haven't got a strategy that is actually having an impact on an organization that's creating value for an organization. From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Emma Gibbs, one of our guests today for a discussion on the strategy leader's evolving mandate. Strategy leaders' responsibilities have expanded significantly over the past decade, with many adding other functions to their roles. And today, to discuss the implications for the CSO's increasingly complex mandates, we're joined by three expert colleagues. Emma is a partner in our London office and leads our strategy and corporate finance practice in the UK, Ireland, and Israel. She serves institutions in highly regulated industries, helping them develop strategies at the interface of the public and private sectors. Emma, thanks for joining us today. Nice to be back, Sean. Thank you. And next, we have Nama Alpert, a consultant in our Southern California office whose client experience spans private equity, technology, and electric vehicles. Nama, welcome. Thank you, John. It's good to be here. And finally, we have Whitney Zimmerman, an associate partner in our London office. Whitney leads our research on the role of the chief strategy officer and strategy organizations. He helps client CSOs define their role and mandate. Whitney, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here. Emma, I understand this topic is not new to you. You led some of our prior research into the chief strategy officer's role. And, and why don't you start us off with a little bit of that history? Sure. This is a, this is a subject that, uh, that I've been looking at for a little while, and I'm excited that we've had the opportunity to refresh our research on this role and, and, how, to, uh, and how to really maximize your impact and, and thrive in it. Um, when we first looked at this 10 years ago, we already knew that the role was challenging. And since then, I think it's only got harder for a number of different reasons. Over the last 25 years, global uncertainty has continued to grow. The four-quarter trailing average of the World Uncertainty Index, we can see both increasing peaks and we can also see steadily rising troughs. And strategy leaders feel this really acutely because of any role in the C-suite, the strategist is the one that CEO boards and executive teams look to to help them chart value-creating paths through this kind of volatility. And our latest survey bears this out, right? 79% of strategy leaders that we surveyed last year expect that they're going to be changing the way that they do their jobs and changing the mandates that they have in the next two years because of the changing environment. And, and I think, you know, again, if we just reflect on our own roles, that makes a lot of sense. The world is very different uh, even from 12 months ago, especially from three or four years ago. And if we weren't changing our mandates, we wouldn't be keeping up with the new challenges that uh, that, that face us. Strategists are not just dealing with the complex exile environment and the, uh, and the changes in the way that they need to think about their role. They're also owning increasing responsibilities. So we've seen in recent times the rise of the and strategist, which is, you know, I'm the chief strategist and I also have another role. So whether that is 
a chief strategist or and a chief strategy and transformation officer or a chief strategy and sustainability officer or a chief strategist and technology or and customer or and digital or all these different functions. And sometimes these titles reflect a strategic focus, such as where a board and executive team know they need to become much more customer centric. For example, you might see a head of strategy and customer together. And sometimes it can be reflective of a particular period of time. For example, chief strategy and transformation when an organization is having to go through a very dramatic change. Okay. And how common has this and strategy mandate become? Well, in 2011, when we looked at the data, they barely registered. We couldn't see very many of these and strategists. But by by this year, and strategists have been growing two to four times faster than the overall senior strategy leader population with strategy and sustainability and strategy and transformation leading the pack with the fastest growth. The job title is, of course, the visible tip of the iceberg. And so in our latest survey, we also asked strategy leaders whether they were responsible for non-strategy functions in addition. And what we found was that 91% of respondents reported owning other functions beyond core strategy with sustainability, digital data and analytics, and chief of staff being some of the, uh, some of the most frequent. 91%. Wow. And, and why are these strategy leaders being asked to take on more of these non-strategy responsibilities versus other senior executives who might do so? Well, so I think the first thing is that, you know, sometimes these are responsibilities that draw away from capacity that you could spend on strategy, but other times they are just core to the strategy. So if I think about, you know, companies that are deep in the energy transition, being strategy and sustainability officer makes a ton of sense because sustainability is core to the way that the the strategy needs to be developed and the strategy needs to be needs to be executed. So 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 I think it's not necessarily a bad thing that this that this is happening. In many cases I think it's reflective of the of the breadth of topics that that a strategist needs to consider as they think about the strategy. So that's the first thing. I mean I think the second thing is that strategists tend to be good at taking on additional responsibilities that don't really have another home. So I think that's why you might see, for example, strategy and new fledgling functions. So say, for example, if data and analytics is a new function within an organization, you might see it sitting inside strategy, but maybe they incubate it a bit and then and then it goes off, uh, it, it goes off somewhere else. And, and I think the, the final reason is probably that Sometimes strategy leaders just want more responsibility. Maybe that's because they want to go into a line role and they want a broader depth of, uh, uh, or you know, broader range, or they want more more experience in delivering something, not just uh, not just doing the doing the strategy and having others deliver. But I wonder if the reason why we see more of it now than we did in the past is simply because people are being more explicit about a set of roles that strategists were probably playing anyway. It's just now that it's being, it's being called out more explicitly than it was before. Interesting. So Emma, with all of these new responsibilities that strategy leaders have, or at least that their titles are now more explicitly acknowledging, what impact has this had on the way that the strategy function actually operates? You know, as strategy leaders are, are taking on more responsibilities and dealing with more complexities, it appears that their teams are growing too. Um, but I think we'll just add a bit of a caution here that larger teams doesn't always mean 
more productive strategy organizations and doesn't always mean better strategy. One strategist that uh, that I know is, is, is spoken about how he prefers a small team of very good strategists, you know, a small team of five superstars rather than 25 average people, because, you know, strategy teams tend to drive a lot of work in the rest of the organization. And if you have a few people asking the right questions to the right people in a very efficient way, you can probably have more impact than if you've got lots of people running around asking lots of people um, for things that are not quite so relevant. So, you know, we do see strategy teams getting bigger, but I would caution that bigger is not always better. Um, and indeed, 87% of the strategy leaders that we surveyed recently reported wanting to restructure their teams, um, or at least part of their teams. Wow. Um, well, it makes sense. And just on your point about the effectiveness of strategy teams, what did you find in your recent survey about how strategy leaders feel about the impact that they're actually having on company performance? Nearly half reported that their teams aren't fully successful and less than a fifth reported being highly successful. That's a pretty depressing statistic, um, especially when you think that strategy that strategists are responsible for trying to set the direction of a company and help uh, and, and, and help it and help it perform as best it can in the um, in the conditions that it finds itself. That does sound pretty low. Do we know why so many strategists feel this way? Is the issue the range of responsibilities, the, the expanded range of responsibilities that they now have? That's part of the challenge of it, that you can be pushed and pulled in different directions, depending on different different people's views within the organization, because you can't do everything, you know, and you don't need to do everything at all times. You might need to do everything over the over, over a period, but at any given moment, prioritizing so that you're focused on the things that will really make a difference to the organization, given the context it faces, you know, is that about understanding what where the market is going because that's uncertain or actually if we know that already that's not the priority we should be focusing much more on how we make sure the organization has got a clear view of what it's going to do about it and, and i think in addition to that the crux one of the cruxes of the strategist's role if you're familiar with this with the crux terminology is is actually thinking about that trade-off but having the muscle to be able to make the decisions about what do i do and do not do but to be able to do that in coordination with the most important stakeholders, including the CEO, and to know, to know how to cascade that into the organization and to be able to know how often to do that. Hmm, got it. Thank you. Um, in the research you conducted, have you noticed any differences among industries in terms of the growth of the and strategist roles? Uh, yes, absolutely. So if you look at a, a heat map of the growth rates of the various and strategists across industries, um, and also the current shares, and at least in our data set, of how many uh, strategists in a given industry are, are occupying one of those intersections, you'd absolutely see some very interesting trends, um, which reflects the value of looking at uh, strategists as a data set, as a leading indicator, and as a reflection of what's going on in an industry. So, for example, in strategy and customer leaders have been fastest growing in financials and tech, media, and telecom. And uh, strategy and sustainability leaders are most prevalent in energy companies, although not growing as fast anymore. And uh, unsurprisingly, also growing fastest in, um, uh, in industrial con and, and consumer companies. So lots of interesting trends there that indicate sort of the, that reflect the challenges and opportunities that each industry is facing 
and how as an organization and executive team, they're seeking to tackle that. Okay. So what does it take to be a successful strategist today? And how um, clear do you think CEOs feel that their mandates really are? Nama, is that something you could address? Thanks, John. You know, when we started planning our latest research, one of the hypotheses that we wanted to test was whether or not, um, you know, having a mandate uh, of stra- for the strategy leader matters to driving performance. And just quickly, Nama, if you could maybe share with us how the team defined exactly what having a clear mandate really means. So simply put, the a clear mandate is the authority and backing from the CEO and the executive team to drive impact on strategic priorities through a core set of responsibilities. It's a blend of you know priorities and responsibilities that the CEO stands behind and that is recognized by everyone at the company. So first we asked uh, senior strategy leaders, how clear is their mandate to the rest of the company if they had one at all? Only about a quarter reported uh, having a clear mandate that's aligned with the rest of the company, which is, of course, concerning. But I would say even more concerning is that about a third reported not even having a mandate at all. Next up, we asked um, basically to look at um, the level of success across five different dimensions. Running strategic processes efficiently, impacting company performance, engaging effectively with BUs or fostering greater coordination across BUs, steering the strategic direction of the company and engaging with senior management to execute strategies. What we saw across the board is that having a mandate correlates statistically significantly with higher levels of success, especially in running strategic processes efficiently and impacting company performance. We heard this in interviews as well that we had, um, you know, CSO of a large global company we spoke with said that they directly correlate the success of the strategy team uh, and the strategy function with revisiting their uh, mandate annually with the CEO, with the board, and making sure that they have the backing and that everybody at the company is aware of what they're driving towards. Great. So Whitney, can you share with us some client examples of what you consider a clear mandate to be? So a couple of examples that we've seen are a large SaaS company's CSO mandate was to develop the customer intelligence function to drive customer intelligence in the organization, a role model, how to use insights and decision-making, establish a strategic plan to drive margin in ways that didn't slow growth, and to build a common set of enterprise-wide strategy capabilities, reflecting uh, responsibilities and priorities together, right? Another one for the mandate of a, a major automaker during COVID was to support each functional team as they developed and owned their own strategies to ensure strategic priorities across functions were sufficiently integrated and fully implementable and to look ahead at it for implementation challenges and also to drive uh, a shift of of long-range planning from a single scenario to a dual scenario setup, which was essential within within COVID. Okay. Well, that's very detailed. Thank you. Um, So if a clear mandate is foundational to being an effective strategy leader, Can you take us through the process of actually creating one? Indeed. So it sounds simple, and it is. The foundation for aligning your mandate and delivering impact is to take time to intentionally define and align your priorities. So in 2012, Emma and the now uh, global co-head of strategy and corporate finance, Michael Bershon, defined a taxonomy for the role, 
with 13 potential facets for the role of the strategist across three categories. The first category is insight generation. And so that includes trend forecasting, competitive intelligence development, and portfolio optimization. The second category is to own value levers. This includes the actual formula formulation of strategy, business development and M&A, innovation, regulatory strategy, and hands-on delivery of specific projects by the strategy team. The third is to enact and enable strategic decisions. This includes strategy planning management, facilitating decision processes and rounds, challenging performance, building strategy capabilities, and reallocating resources. And in the last decade, McKinsey has used this taxonomy to counsel countless strategy leaders on how to think through this idiosyncratic role that can mean many, many things to many, many people at different times. In our most recent update that Nama and Emma and, and many of others uh, worked on, we made a couple of changes. First, we updated two facets. So regulatory strategy became a more holistic ESG strategy, reflecting the rise of ESG and in particular, sustainability. And decision process facilitation became a more holistic top team orchestration, reflecting the more complex nature of the C-suite and the top team and the rise uh, and continued rise of the chief of staff function and uh, CEO teams. And then in addition to that, we also added two facets. We added digital and data leader that reflects the increasing central centrality of this capability to teams and also transformation, transformation sponsorship, reflecting the increasing intersection of transformation and strategy. So this taxonomy is important to note is not intended to reflect a set of facets that a strategy leader must simply prioritize. Rather, it's a common language to debate what a company does and does not need from its strategy function. In the latest survey, most strategy leaders reported focusing on only between three and seven facets. And this is for a few reasons. First, companies do not need every aspect of strategy at a given time. And Emma talked, in the, talked about this earlier. For example, a company in a stable, long cycle environment might not need dedicated trend forecasting, and in particular, might not need that in the strategy function. And then second, other functions may already be owned in, by other executives. And as a result of that, maybe strategy should closely collaborate with them, or maybe it shouldn't. And so, for example, performance challenging might be owned by the CFO, or business development might have its own dedicated function or sit under finance. And did the survey explore which of these facets actually deliver the most impact, or at least which are the fastest growing? So... We see strategy formulation, which is literally owning the development of strategy, business development or M&A, and transformation sponsorship being the top three, oh, and capability building, um, uh, be leading the pack and being the top four facets chosen, and resource reallocation being the least common. However, this specific point is a great example of why it, it is the point is not to follow the pack. It doesn't always pay to follow what other strategy leaders are doing, especially when we're seeing such, such struggles driving impact. Strategy leaders that report that they are highly successful impacting company performance are 1.7 times more likely to focus on, to report focusing on resource reallocation, which is something that McKinsey has long advocated, the power of proper resource reallocation. 
it's the lowest rated facet for strategy leaders, but those that are reporting highest success driving performance are actually much more likely to focus on that single facet. If we look at those that are fastest growing, you see innovation, ESG strategy, and digital and data leadership. When we look at those that are in most need of improvement in the minds of strategy leaders, we see capability building, innovation, and transformation sponsorship reflecting both how challenging it can be to properly build capabilities and also the challenges associated with blending strategy and transformation in the same role. And then finally, we also see the ESG strategy is currently rated as the least impactful. But here again, just like resource reallocation, we would suggest that the area strategy leaders struggle with most is also an opportunity to get an edge uh, by cracking how to drive value with the ESG strategy and sustainability strategy. Got it. And how do these responses compare to the time when the team first developed this framework? With the exception of the two new ones, transformation sponsorship and digital and data leadership, a set of them have increased in focus over time, led by capability building and innovation. And here again, it's encouraging to see the data bearing, bearing sort of fruit because back in 2013, capability building was the one area that strategy leaders focused on most in saying, we wish we could spend more time on this, right? And that's now the, the largest shift forward. And meanwhile, we've seen a drop in focus on a number of them, including plan facilitation, product delivery, and performance challenging. Okay, so with all of this in mind, can you walk us through what uh, one should do if they're taking over a new strategy leader role? So when we think about counseling strategy leaders on approaching their role, the first step and the step that we've recommended for a long time is to actually take time to think about defining your role and your priorities. Think about what is and is not in scope, what your priorities are for driving impact and how they integrate with how you will go about doing strategy and driving impact from strategy. And what we often see strategy leaders do is simply take over an existing role, an existing strategy function with all of its sort of organically grown responsibilities and expectations and not take time to think about what in that moment is needed from strategy. Then that is the precursor to aligning your mandate, which is the second step. Think about translating the understanding of the role that has been syndicated with uh, your priorities um, into a pro proposed mandate, syndicating it with the CEO who ultimately owns strategy and key stakeholders and ensuring that it is communicated in part or in whole. And what we hear sometimes, which is true, is, is that sometimes it's difficult to get a mandate out of, the C out of the CEO. And so this may not actually be a single process and a single step. In some cases, it might merely be a tactic where parts of a mandate need to be communicated at the most important and impactful times in when a, a strategist and, 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 and her or his team is driving impact. But getting to that mandate is important for ensuring alignment and impact. And only then... Are you able to fully deliver impact? Not always, but what we see is that there's a, a substantial improvement um, after a mandate to dr driving impact because you're not tripped up by fragmented expectations of what strategy will do and how it will do it. So we also surveyed how aligned high-performing strategy leaders were with a variety of stakeholders versus the rest. And what we saw is that high-performing strategy leaders reported materially higher alignment with BU heads, with their CFOs, and then with their boards. 
And doing so is made far easier with a well-defined role and a clear mandate backed by the CEO. Thank you. So it actually seems like the clarity of that mandate could either be an input or an output of the strategy function. Would you agree? And have you seen examples of both? Um, yes. In reality, strategy uniquely as a function should rapidly change what is needed from strategy because of uh, the organization's standing and capability shifting, because of navigating into new markets, and in, because of, of, of forcing changes in the broader organization and how, it, how, it, how, it, uh, how, how other functions participate in, in things that drive impact through strategy and strategic um, um, efforts. And so it can absolutely be both an input, something that is received from a CEO or something that, that, it, that initiates and drives what strategy does, but also an output that should then also force an adaptation of what strategy does in order to drive impact and a resetting over time, multiple times of what strategy should be doing and what is expected from it. And given the breadth of the chief strategy officer's role, do you find frequent overlaps or conflicts with other C-suite officers? And how do you advise clients to navigate those potential conflicts? Emma? It's, it's, it's a really it's a really interesting question, Sean. I mean, the the, the link that I've studied most closely is the this the chief strategist and the chief financial officer because there is such a tight overlap between the strategy and then what happens with resource reallocation, performance management, etc. Um, and because you know the CFO's job is essentially a strategic one, um, which clearly has some overlap with strategy. The same can be said for the chief marketing officer, right? It's a strategic role. Um, and I think, and I think, you know, in the same way as I would advocate with the chief financial officer, I would say the same for a strategist who's who's working out how to work with a, a chief marketing officer. Almost just take the fifteen things and say, you know, which bit are you going to do, and which bit am I going to do? You know, if you if if the chief marketing officer is doing customer insights, then you know the chief strategist should not be doing customer insights. Or if they are, they should be doing it from a from a different perspective with a different in a way that is complementary. A lot of this is just about having a conversation with the people that you're working alongside in order to have to agree what do we think of the priorities here? What's the conversation that we need to be having as a leadership team? And how do I as a strategist ensure that we're well set up to have that conversation so we can take some decisions and create some value as a result of it? Yeah, if I could build on that, um, uh, I was having a conversation with a brilliant CSO yesterday who made a similar point saying, you know, listen, I've, I've been in a company before where uh, there didn't even need to be strategy because the, the resource allocation and portfolio management capabilities of the marketing function in the, in the consumer goods company they used to work in were so strong that the marketing function was very much a strategic function. And so exactly as Emma says, this is intended to be a common language to be able to have a conversation about what our remits are and what our mandates are. And over time, also capabilities may shift and change. One other anecdote I want to share here is on, on and strategists. The one and strategist that we saw back in 2013 was marketing, chief strategy and marketing officer, which you don't see very much anymore today. Very interesting, right? You think about why. Well, it might be because the marketing function is much more mature these days than it was even 10 years ago. In terms of capabilities and in terms of approaches, et cetera. And over time, the strategist hasn't needed to, to, to been asked to take on that function. And also may say something about over time, the growth and capabilities and these other holistic sort of functions across the business and reflecting also the importance of partnership 
in certain companies and certain sectors between marketing and strategy. So we've been talking about corporations so far, but in the public sector and public policy, this is also an issue. Emma, you operate at the intersection here. What's your perspective on this through the lens of the public sector? And specifically, what's the role of a chief strategist in a government or public sector organization? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good question. And, um, and of course, in some government organizations, strategy and policy can be quite intertwined. And, you know, policy has its own skill set associated with it as well. But what I would say is that, you know, if you're responsible for the strategy of a government department or a non-governmental organization or you know, a state-owned organization or an organization that just doesn't have profit maximization as its as its as its mandate, everything that everything that we've just talked about is equally relevant. You know, some of the facets will be more or less relevant. You're probably not going to be doing MA, for example. But but the rest of it probably is quite relevant. You know, how you think about you know, your role in setting the strategy versus facilitating a, a, a planning process that results in a strategy, that's perfectly relevant. How you think about allocating scarce resources, and if you think about government uh, departments and you think about, or government organizations or non-governmental organizations, scarce resources is, you know, scarce resources is familiar, familiar territory. And being really thoughtful about, you know, where do we want to have our impact and how do we translate that into where we, where we put our scarce resources? All of that it remains equally, equally relevant. Having that conversation to say, what are we going to focus on and what are we not going to focus on? This, because the, the, the breadth of what you could do is, is so great. Having that conversation about where you're going to focus and why, I think is almost, is almost more important than some of, those, some of those institutions because the measure for impact is often, uh, is often harder to define than a number. Sure. And in your research, did you actually measure the impact of the strategy leader and the strategy function on company performance and if you did what are some of the, what were some of the KPIs that you were looking at or key performance indicators that's a really good question that we uh, debate a lot and debated in the process of this research um, it does depend on the individual contexts but it tends to get down to um, how you're running the strategy function KPIs for the, the quality of those processes, the quality of insight, um, and the level of alignment across an organization. Um, and of course, the facets that you are choosing. So for example, if you are driving on, on strategic um, uh, planning, there are going to be KPIs around um, the effectiveness of the process for driving accountability down into the organization. Um, and then of course, how you are performance managing the resulting strategic initiatives, right? If you're doing capability building, there's a myriad of potential um, uh, KPIs around organizational health um, related to strategy that can be employed to think about either at the executive level or across strategy teams, across an organization, alignment to specific ways of thinking about strategy, specific tactics, and just just general capability building. What, what I would say, though, is that one of the reasons why we obsess so much on resource reallocation is that without resource reallocation, all you have is a really good strategy paper. And you might have a really good strategy paper that everybody loves, that you know, that analyzes the market beautifully, that has a really good plan for how you know you're going to create lots of value, whether that's social value, economic value, profit, 
uh, environmental value, whatever it might be. Um, you, know, you might have a fantastic paper, but unless you allocate resources in a way that will make that thing happen, and unless you do the performance management against ensuring that the things you've said you wanted to do are actually happening, unless you continue to follow up on the data that told you that this was a good idea and validate that it continues to be a good idea and your assumptions are in fact coming true rather than not coming true and needing to course correct, unless you're doing all of those things, then all you've got is a paper. You haven't got a strategy that is actually having an impact on an organization that's creating value for an organization. So that's one of the reasons why you know, we, I'm not surprised that we see high performing strategy leaders are, you know, more often doing the resource reallocation. The reason being that that's where, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? That's where it stops being a paper and starts being a strategy that's actually doing something and having an impact in the world. It sure is, Emma. And you spoke at the start about how many strategists reporting dissatisfaction with how their teams operated. Um, how should they set up their teams, especially when they're first coming into an organization, to ensure that they're set up for the most impact? Nama, what's been your experience there? The thing is that the idiosyncratic nature of the strategy function means that there really isn't a you know one size fits all. Even when you look um, at specific industries or sizes of companies or things of that nature, the more importantly is to start with defining your mandate, aligning on responsibilities, making sure it's clear to everyone for the reasons we just covered. So what you usually have people start with and also finish with when we talk about these things typically is the org chart. But what we would notice is that the picture gets much more richer if we look at things like what are the portfolio of responsibilities that um, the strategy function has. The picture would get even more richer if we looked at what their mandate is. If we look even further, we kind of dig even further, we also would gain a lot of understanding from knowing what are the relationships and who are the key stakeholders, who are the core stakeholders uh, that work with with, uh, the strategy function and own strategy. Finally, we look at where do they uh, source their talent from? And it's this, you know, uh, very holistic understanding of a strategy function that um, represents how we would recommend approaching setting up a strategy org design, uh, which means starting with, you know, understanding what the mandate is, defining it, aligning with everyone, um, and really understanding what the priorities are. So companies are facing uh, an unusually challenging business environment these days. And uh, does that have any impact on the kind of experience or intrinsic capabilities that you think they should look for in a chief strategy officer? I mean, it kind of goes back to what is it you want someone to be able to do, right? So if you if if the nature of your if the nature of your strategic issue is that your whole business is being turned upside down by digital, you probably want somebody who's a bit of a digital native to be able to help an organization which doesn't have that insight to gain that insight and work out what to do about it and make some tough decisions in response. Um, equally, you might say, you know, we need somebody who's a real industry insider because, you know, there's something about this industry that's so peculiar that if they're not an industry insider, they're going to struggle to be able to bring any insight. Um, or you might say, I don't want someone from inside the organization because the whole point is that I want some external perspective uh, and I want us to be able to build 
you know, build build a new way of thinking about strategy that we're going to borrow from another industry that that has always been much more strategic than we've ever had to be because we've always kind of known what we were doing and it's been smooth sailing and now suddenly it's a lot more volatile. It, so so I think it so I think it very much depends on the context in which you find yourself, which I know is a sort of slightly frustrating answer, but um, but it goes back to why it's quite helpful to have those facets to sort of say, well, what is it that we that what is it what's the problem we're trying to solve with strategy at the moment? What is it that we really need somebody to be good at? Thanks, and, and Whitney, it looks like you'd like to add something there. Yeah, I'll, the one thing I want to note on that is this is why it's important that the CEO is also counseled to think before hiring a CSO, what is needed, right? And so we will frequently get asks for, hey, a CEO is asked for a job profile for a CSO. And we have to walk back and say, let's talk first about what you need before we talk about what the job profile, the job posting looks like, right? Makes perfect sense. And so how do you work with clients to figure out what those capabilities should be that they should be looking for in CSO candidates or that CSOs should seek in members of their teams. I have an example of a CSO, the Fortune 500 company that I worked with uh, that had, was taking over an underdeveloped strategy function. And so what we did first is we ran an analysis of the company's strategy footprint, what I call their footprint, based on publicly available data versus their peers, and found that this client actually seemed to have more strategy skills and strategists than its peers and was hiring for more strategists than most. However, the CSO reported early in our discussions that the lack of a strong strategy function and leader had led to strategy fragmentation across the organization. There was no common understanding of what strategy was, what the, what the company's strategy was, no common language for strategy, and no strategy community. But there were strategists everywhere. And this was reflected in an analysis we had done of the perceived speed of that organization versus its peers. This client's workforce felt that it moved slower, was less adaptable, and had a hard time executing despite faster decision-making. The CEO's, CSO's conclusion after doing a prioritization activity with the framework we talked about before was that one of the five pillars of things they needed in their mandate was simply to build strategy talent. And that this fragmented network of strategists across the organization was actually an asset, a footprint to be, a, a fingerprint to be leveraged, to be able to build a common set of skills and language by targeting those people and to identify and raise up internal strategy talent, people that wanted to do strategy. Thank you, Whitney. And before we close, I'd like to come back to a number that you mentioned at the start, Emma. It was 79% of strategists expect their mandates to change. Do you think that those changes are likely to be ones that they welcome or ones that they're uh, not very fond of? It's a great time to be a strategist. You don't need strategists when the world is smooth sailing. You do need strategists when the world is volatile in order to be able to create the kind of value that we're all in this business to be able to create, whether that's economic value, social value, environmental value, profit, or some other kind of organizational value, or all of those types of value together. And we know that intuitively volatile times calls for adaptability, both in the way that we do our strategies, but also the way that we um, the way that we play our roles. And that's how we're going to add the most value as strategists, the missions that we're responsible for charting. And it's also how we're going to thrive in what I think is honestly the most fascinating of roles. 
It sure sounds that way. Emma, Nama, Whitney, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this with us today. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. As always, if you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, just email us at ITSR at McKinsey.com. That stands for Inside the Strategy Room. You can also share your ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player with many thanks to everyone who's already done so. We really appreciate all of your comments and feedback, and please do keep them coming. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to subscribe, all you need to do is follow our weekly series on your favorite podcast player. And that's where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. If you're interested in written transcripts of past podcasts, we also offer an Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page at mckinsey.com slash ITSR. And, and, and there you can easily search our prior podcasts across six major themes. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest publications and insights, you can sign up on our Practice Insights page at mckinsey.com slash SCF for strategy and corporate finance, or you can follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn at the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the Strategy Room.